<clears throat> nobody, 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 nobody. Nobody rage hard stories. Hi everyone, I'm Jeremy. And I'm Megan. And you're watching Nobody Read Short Stories, where we read the short stories for you so you don't have to. That's right. So tonight we have, uh, well, you can find all of our previous episodes on our website, nobodyreadshortstories.com. So make sure you check that out. Tonight we have uh, a wonderful story by Merrill Branch McTiernan called My Condolences. Just uh, for everyone listening, uh, this story does contain uh, graphic sexual encounters. So uh, please take that into consideration as you listen further. So here we go with My Condolences by Merrill Branch McTiernan. For some, the summer solstice was just another brush with humidity, but to me, it was an important day. My first pilgrimage to Victoria's Secret's semi-annual sale at the Roosevelt Field Mall. In December and June, the brand dumped their excess merchandise into size label bins where brightly colored bras and underwear could be purchased for a penance. I was a newbie to the tradition because I had only started wearing Vickies when I got to college the previous fall. It was the year 2000, the year the zeros and the ones were supposed to paralyze us, but we were still mobile. Before college, I ran around town with the high-waisted pastel Hanes Her Way my mother bought me at Rite Aid. In my freshman year at college, I hadn't learned much, but now accepted the notion that the value of my personal brand was presumed by the insignia marking that thick elastic band. And even if the boys didn't care what I wore, the girls certainly noted who was in on her secret. As I sifted through the bins, I contemplated who I wanted to be. I could be a tigress with black and orange stripes marking me a wild beast, or a delicate flower whose bush was buried in pink petals. I was confounded by an ugly brown pair before realizing it would be a good camouflage for period stains and drop them in the giant black mesh bag. After selecting the perfect 10 pairs, a melange of cotton and silk and lace, floral and animal, stripes and solids, and even some stars, I stopped a small, heavily made up employee with bleach blonde hair and said, I'd like to be measured. She stared at me from my face to my tits and uttered with contempt, you don't know what bra size you wear? I do, I mean, I have bras, but I may have put on some of the freshman 15 and wanted to see if my size had changed, if that's okay. Hold on, she grumbled. She held the tape measurer in her teeth as she spooled it out, lifted my boobs like bowling balls. She measured my chest first. 36, she said. I was a 34 before college. Next year, I wouldn't drink Dr. Pepper at every meal. As she took the most important measurement, I held my breath like I was waiting for my name to be called in a raffle. 36C, my boobs had grown too. I needed to show them to somebody. She returned to the task of organizing the chaotic bin of underwear and I sauntered over to the bra bins to look for something in my new size. I chose a red silky one with a gaudy V in the center. V for Victoria, vixen, voluptuous, vivacious, valiant, vociferous, and what I still was a virgin, at least technically. Blowjobs didn't count. At least that's what our president said, and he was a Rhodes Scholar. But what if this summer was different? What if I found a new dick to match every new pair of underwear? I rushed from the mall to meet Jessica at the Seven Seas Diner, which had been our late night spot in high school. To my chagrin, she hadn't come alone. Mark was still visiting needy, emotional Mark, who planted wet marinara kisses on Jessica's lips as I hovered behind my chocolate milkshake. 
I wasn't jealous that Jess had left Michigan with a boyfriend because I would never date a guy like Mark. He was always crying and begging her to hold his hand. She was incapable of appreciating his adoration, turning away from him like he carried mono. And I was pretty sure he had voted for Bush in our first presidential election last November. I missed our girls only nights at the diner. Now that Jessica had a bona fide beau, it seemed immature to moon over my crushes, guys I, who had I had never even seen naked. Abigail, how cute is Jessica's butt? The cutest, I replied. Mark, stop, Jessica said. Abigail hates PDA. <laughs> no offense, but Abigail's a Jew from Long Island. I have a feeling she hates a lot of things. Seriously, you're at a diner in Great Neck. You're the minority here. Nobody cares what part of the hand you live on. I'm sorry, I can't stop touching her. She's too sexy for her sweats. Mark said. I turned my attention away from him and announced, I have a goal for the summer. <gasps> Me too. I'm going to put rhinestones on my old shirts and sell them on eBay, Jessica said. That's great. I bought these 10 new pairs of underwear, and I've decided I'm going to see 10 dicks by the autumnal equinox, I said. Do they need to be new dicks, or can they be repeat offenders? Mark asked. It was the most interested he'd ever been in my aspirations. New dicks. All new. I don't have a ton of repeats around here to choose from, anyway. I thought you wanted a real relationship, Jessica said. That's all I ever fucking want. But all my attempts have ended in heartbreak, so I'm trying quantity over quality. You want to fuck ten guys? Mark said. You're going to get the herp. Or worse. Abigail's a virgin, remember? Jessica said. So you're just going to give handies? Boring, and we're better at it anyway. Mark said. Blowies too, maybe, I said. How are you going to find all these dicks? Jessica asked me. They're everywhere you look, I said, scanning the diner, which was not rife with stimulating specimens. I logged into AOL Instant Messenger when I got home from the diner. As I began to peruse the list of who was online and bored, I heard the ding of an instant message. It was from Luca Rosen, who I had pined for throughout my entire senior year of high school. I kept a stack of printouts of all of our IM conversations, which I reread regularly and sometimes brought to girls' night at the diner for analysis. My grandma died. I'm sorry, is there anything I can do? Luca was a brooding loner type. His family hailed from Romania, or maybe Transylvania, which was even more mysterious. He always wore navy, which he believed complemented his pasty skin. He had taken up fencing because he identified with Holden Caulfield. I had been instantly intrigued by his dark outlook on life, and we started spending our free period together in the cafeteria, munching on hardly baked chocolate chip cookies and discussing Marcus Aurelius. He had written a song called Hypocrites and Liars, where he bashed great neck phonies for being backstabbers and biters. I couldn't agree more. Would you give me a blowjob? Haha. <laughs> What? Are you serious? Dead serious. I'll pick you up. My parents aren't gonna let me. It's past my curfew. So sneak out. You are in college. Why do you even have a curfew? I can't sneak out. I live in an apartment. They're light sleepers. They'll hear me. Hold on, let me ask. I walked down the hall to my parents' bedroom, which was open a crack so that my cat, Darko, could wander in and out freely. I climbed between them and pulled my mother's leg. She flung the pillow that had been covering her face at me. Abigail, you're not a skinny kid anymore. You're going to break my legs, my mother said. Did you just call me fat? You're giving me a complex, I said. What's going on? Why are you here? 
my father asked, squinting to see me without his glasses. You know my friend Luca Rosen, I asked. Here we go again, friend. That guy you used to stalk around school, my mother asked with the compassion of a prison warden. I didn't stalk him. We had a complicated relationship, but it's really gotten much better since college. We talk online all the time, I said. Why are you waking me up at one in the morning to talk about this schmuck? My father said. Patrick, my mother said, elbowing him. So his grandmother just died and he's really having a hard time. He asked if I could meet up with him for a little bit just to talk, I said. He wants to talk to you. That guy needs therapy, my mother said. He's going to school to be a therapist, actually, I said. Fine, go talk to him, but be back in 45 minutes, my father said. Pat, it's one o'clock in the morning, my mother said. I, I just want her to get out of our room. Let her go, he said. Abigail, if you're not back here at 1.45, my mother threatened. Then what, Mom? I asked. Okay, pick me up. Sweet. See you in five. Luca, you are really coming, right? Luke at the draw signed off at 104. I had spent months fantasizing about the day Luca would realize he loved me. He had told Dennison that I had great tits but that he wasn't attracted to me because I had low self-esteem. I didn't think I had low self-esteem. I knew I had pretty great tits, which was why I had always worn a V-neck on Thursdays when we had our free period together. And they were even bigger now that I'd put on the freshman 15. True, I hadn't been in the AP physics class with Luca, but I had taken AP Lit, American History, and Spanish. So it wasn't like I thought he was that much smarter than me. I didn't know how to convince him that I was totally into myself and not just him. But maybe the fact that he had chosen me in his time of need said something about the way he thought about me. Yeah, he had fucked up his friendship with Bobby Cornelio after trying to kiss Bobby's longtime crush, Lena Gershon. And Stan Richman couldn't stand him after he'd written that play about what an asshole sellout he was for English class. Luca really should appreciate me, even after losing all of his friends. I was the only one who stood by him, no matter how big an asshole he was. Because I knew that Luca was special. He was practically a genius. And geniuses sometimes did fucked up things because they lacked social intelligence. I couldn't blame him for that. Once we were together, I would teach him about how to treat his friends. I put on some extra deodorant, sprayed myself with my half-priced bottle of Victoria's Secret's Love Spell, and filtered through my pile of new underwear, debating what I wanted to present. Flora or Fauna? I thought about calling Jess, but she was probably spooning with Mark on the pull-out couch of her parents' basement where he was quarantined. I picked a purple lace pair because I'd read that purple represented the dreams for the future my future with Luca. I put on jean shorts and a Lou Reed vintage t-shirt I found at Macy's because Luca loved Lou Reed. In the lobby, I paced back and forth until I saw Luca's 93 Corolla round the corner. I ran outside, afraid he would honk and rattle the neighbors. When I reached his car, I saw a figure looming in the back seat. I hope this whole grandma death story wasn't some kind of ploy to kidnap me. As I got closer, I was relieved that it was just his dog, not a hitman. The giant smiling golden retriever looked too sweet to be Luca's, who I assumed would have a mopey dog like a basset hound. When I got inside, the dog immediately began licking my face. Hey! I pushed the dog's head away and leaned over to kiss Luca's cheek. His posture was unwelcoming, so I slapped his thigh instead. Thanks for coming out. He said, of course. I can't promise I'll blow you, though, if you were serious about that. Were you? I asked. <sighs> Seriousness is the only refuge of the shallow. He said. He took out a cigarette and inhaled dramatically. 
Oscar Wilde. I guess that's true, I said. What happened with your grandma? She died. He said. How? I asked. I don't want to talk about it. He said. We retreated into silence as he drove down my street toward Great Neck Road. Was it your mom's mother or your dad's mother? I asked. I said I didn't want to talk about it. He said. Okay, well, I'm very sorry it happened to you, I said. So what's your dog's name? Sandy. He replied. I turned to the back seat and kissed Sandy's soft furry head. Hi, baby, you're so cute, I said, nuzzling my face in hers. I'm sorry I'm such a dick. I don't know why I asked you to come out with me. Maybe it was stupid. You wanted comfort. I get it. I said softly, hoping he would relax. Where are we going? Instead of answering me, he took his right hand off the wheel and placed it on my knee. It was stiff, like the thing from the Adams family. He inched his bony fingers up my shorts and began poking around beneath my new underwear. I was disappointed that he didn't seem interested in seeing them. I felt my thighs sweating on the navy leather seats. Does this feel good? He asked. Not really, I said. Maybe it's because you're driving. He nodded and continued to loot around. When he pulled up to the 7-Eleven, he removed his hand and parked the car. 7-Eleven, I asked. I want a Slurpee. He turned back to Sandy in a strange sing-song voice and said, Be good, girl. We'll be back in a second. This wasn't our first trip to 7-Eleven together. Senior year, I had driven him and his friend there during our free period. I had hoped it was a turning point in our relationship, but when he got out of the car at school with melted M&Ms on his navy pea coat from my back seat, the outing seemed less suspicious. We walked inside and chose our flavors. Luca filled his with frozen Coca-Cola, which seemed pointless to me. Just one flavor? I asked, trying not to sound judgmental. I know what I like. I mixed watermelon, lemon, and cherry into a small cup. I looked around, hoping to see someone I knew from school. If there were no witnesses to our little excursion, how could I prove the dark and damaged Luca Rosen had really taken me out? I got this, he said when we reached the cash register. So it was kind of a date, albeit a cheap one. He pulled out of the parking lot and onto a quiet residential street in Queens and parked. Are we going inside? I asked. He ignored my question, tugged my body toward him and kissed my mouth hard. It was like kissing a mannequin. There was no sensation at all, no electricity, no attraction. And I was dry as a desert morning. Then he clutched my left breast like a fly ball before placing my hand on the crotch of his cargo shorts. When I unzipped his fly, his dick sprung out like a can of worms. Reaching across the seatbelt, I tried to jerk him off. This was the moment I had been waiting for. Corporal pleasure was supposed to subsume all the mental magnetism I'd felt for him. So why did it feel so sterile? Before long, he started to go soft. <sighs> this isn't working, he said. I was strangely relieved, inhaling the scent of the strawberry air freshener. Is it your grandmother? Why don't you want to blow me? I would, maybe if we were in a house or something. You blew Peter. I couldn't believe that information had found its way to Luca. I'd only told Jessica. And of course, Nikki knew since it was her party. Joanna may have seen me going upstairs with him. Who told you about that? I asked. Everybody knows. He pulled out a pack of camels. Did you go to the funeral? Mm, I was away at school. Did you? We weren't friends anymore. He turned the key in the ignition. I couldn't let him take me home yet. We hadn't had a moment of real intimacy. Wait, not yet, I said. I put my lips to his jeans. 
licking his semi-hard dick out of his fly. I ran my tongue up and down, and he sighed and tugged on my hair a little too forcefully. At least it seemed like he was enjoying it. Faster, he said. My head bobbed up and down, and I closed my eyes, remembering back to Nikki's house party. It had happened two weeks before graduation. My friends, Jet Setter parents, were always escaping on a cruise or a business trip, leaving their houses at the mercy of lustful teenagers. That night, I was tired of always being the sober one. Since one of my best friends was throwing the party, I knew I could stay over without worrying about my parents smelling my breath when I got home. Liberated, I grabbed a cold Bud Light from the refrigerator. I expected to feel drunk as soon as it dripped down my esophagus, but I didn't. It tasted metallic, like a dirty swing set. The beat pounded. You and me, baby, ain't nothing but mammals, so let's do it like they do it on the Discovery Channel, pumped through the stereo. My face was on fire as I danced with the other girls. I wasn't sure if it was the alcohol hitting me or the desire to finally loosen up made me feel so warm. I had rebelled against my parents, talking back to them, cursing at them, and refusing to get off the phone at 10 p.m. when they told me to. But I had never questioned their authority when it came to drinking drugs or sex. Put your hands down my pants and I'll bet you'll feel nuts, sang the Bloodhelm gang. Throughout the night, a guy from the neighboring town of Floral Park who had a huge bump on his head, tried to get me to touch it. It's an aneurysm. If you hit it, I'll die. He said. As I swerved to avoid him, I felt a hand on my waist. It was Peter. Let's go upstairs. Peter said. Yes, let's, I said, leaving the guy with the ticking time bomb on his head alone. I was accustomed to everyone else going upstairs, but nobody had ever asked me to find an available bedroom before. Peter and I had become friends in our seventh grade home and careers class after he chased me around the kitchen with a handful of raw bisquick threatening to throw it in my hair. He was known for being wild, doing random handstands in class and sticking his middle finger up at the dean while I always tried to appease my parents and teachers. He had tried every drug and told me about their various effects. Pot's not a drug. It's healthier than McDonald's, he argued. I knew he had liked me at some point, but I thought those feelings had evolved into a friendship. I never wanted to date him because I was embarrassed by his reputation for being unhinged. But he had only ever been gentle with me. In fact, he was much nicer than Luca, who I had been chasing all year. But Luca wasn't there that night. Peter held my hand and led me up the stairs to Nikki's little brother's room, where the shelves were covered in Tomb Raider action figures and Star Wars sheets lined the single bed. Then he slammed his body into the bed like a diver, which he was. I felt his small, soft hands lightly tickling my stomach, and I couldn't help giggling. For some reason, I hadn't expected hooking up to be this fun. Oh, you like that, huh? he said. Slowly, his hands made their way up my shirt, brushing ever so slightly against my bare stomach. The little dark hairs on my arms stood up as he moved his index finger and his middle finger up and made little circles around my nipples. I gave his shoulder a peck over his black t-shirt. He pulled me closer, pressing his strong, compact body against mine. I had kissed other guys before, and they had always swirled their tongues around mine like they were training for the tonguing Olympics. But he ran his tongue across my teeth before making contact with mine. I felt his penis hard as a flashlight pressing against my thigh. I want to finger you, he whispered. That would be cool, uh, but I have my period, so I said. He nodded and returned to kissing me for a few minutes before stopping. He pushed the hair from my eyes and looked at me intensely. Abigail? Yeah, Peter, I said. I thought maybe he would tell me he loved me, that he had always loved me since that home and careers class. Did I love him back? I thought maybe I did. Would you consider going down on me? He asked. It was such a polite invitation that I didn't think I could refuse. Well, you know, I've never done it before. I know, uh, I'll eat you, he said. 
I kissed my way down his body. When I got to his fly, I tried unbuttoning it with my mouth. After a few unsuccessful attempts, I undid it with my hand. His penis formed a teepee in his red boxer briefs. I pulled it out and was shocked by how much darker it was than the rest of his body. Engulfing it in my mouth, I was careful to keep from gagging or touching him with my teeth. He made little cries like a cat begging to be petted. I tried to distract myself each time it touched my throat by thinking of what color I would describe his dick as. It was purplish, not quite eggplant, maybe boysenberry or mauve. My jaw started to hurt, so I took a breather and said, my mom didn't believe in breastfeeding, so I don't have a lot of experience with sucking on body parts. Oh, you're doing a good job. He gently smoothed my hair. I wasn't sure how long this was supposed to take, but it seemed to last forever. I dipped my mouth low and bounced as fast as I could until finally my mouth was filled with a salty squirt that tasted like boogers. I didn't want to swallow and I couldn't spit it out on Nikki's brother's bed. With my cheeks expanded like a chipmunk's, I looked at him for guidance. You might want to find a bathroom and spit that out, he said. I followed his direction, passing a group of guys drinking beer. When I reached the toilet, I hawked up the nastiness. It looked like floating phlegm. I grabbed a tube of Crest and filled my mouth with it. We never talked about it, and it never happened again. Two months later, I went off to Syracuse, and Peter stayed behind, occasionally showing up for classes at Nassau Community College. On my birthday in October, he called me from a mental institution where his parents had sent him when rehab didn't work. I didn't know what to say when he told me he was there. My friends were getting ready to go to a frat party, and I kept looking at the clock. Can I maybe call you back sometime later this weekend? I asked. I don't really have a phone right now. He said. Right. Well, you can try me then. He didn't. But by Thanksgiving, it seemed like he was pulling himself together. We went for a drive and I told him about college and he told me about his time in rehab and the mental institution. They drank hand sanitizer in rehab and his roommate in the mental institution believed he was a train conductor on the night shift. He was ready to give up drugs. When I dropped him off at his house, he kissed me on the mouth for the first time since Nikki's party. Two weeks later, I awoke to an IM from a high school friend, Anna. It was finals week and I had been trying to catch up on all the reading I hadn't done that semester. I had started dating Jason and couldn't think about anything but all the sex we might be having soon. I think you were friends with Peter Rosini. Just wanted to let you know that he died over the weekend. Drug overdose on Scott F's couch at a party. Anyway, long time no talk. My father looked for an obituary in the Great Neck record and couldn't find one. Maybe they didn't honor overdoses, or maybe it wasn't true. Since I didn't talk to any of his friends, I was able to convince myself that it was just a rumor. We hadn't traveled in the same circle, so nobody confirmed the news. I wrote a letter expressing my condolences to his parents, and every day I thought about buying stamps, but I couldn't bring myself to go downstairs to the campus store. Eventually, essays and solo cups piled on top of the loose-leaf paper, burying my compulsion to say something, until I eventually built beer on it. I never rewrote it. Weeks passed, and I went home for Christmas break. Peter's face was the face of the mailman, the fourth grader who lived on my floor, the Korean grocer, the skateboarder on the corner. I felt a dumbbell lifted from my shoulders every time I saw him which returned tenfold when I realized it was someone else. Still, I couldn't bear to send my condolences to admit that it was real. I drove by his house and saw his Kia sitting in the driveway and convinced myself that he still drove it. By the time I returned to school, I was able to believe that it hadn't happened. But Luca's question about the funeral confirmed it. Peter was dead, and I had ignored it. I had run away from the one guy in high school who had tried to understand me because he was weird. I started to feel sick, like I might puke on Luca's penis. I pulled away and sat back in the seat. 
Abigail, I was almost there. He said, I'm not feeling well. Can you take me home? I said. Okay. He put the car into drive. I moved my hand to the back seat and waited for Sandy to lick it. Just the touch of her rough tongue made me feel cleaner. I don't get it. I thought this was what you wanted. He said. So did I, I said. I tried to make eye contact with him, but his eyes remained firmly fixed on the road. That night, I blew Peter. There was this guy at the party with an aneurysm on his head. He said he'd die if something hit it. Imagine walking around like that, knowing how easily you could kill over. Luca took a drag and looked at me. We all walk around like that every day. Do you still think we're all really hypocrites and liars, backstabbers and biters? I asked. That was just a stupid song I made up. He said. It wasn't was it? my treatise on life. He pulled up in front of my building. Give my condolences to your mother or your father or whoever, I said. I looked at my phone and saw that 40 minutes had passed since I left home. I walked upstairs and I am Jessica, one down. The end. All right. Ooh. Ooh, all right. So we, uh, we added a little sound effects to this one. <laughs> We're slowly evolving here on Nobody Reads Short <laughs> Stories. I hope that, uh, was nostalgic for some people who used to be on AOL Messenger. <laughs> yeah, Megan was telling me that it no longer exists. And I'm like, that's so weird. Yeah, I know. It's like a whole part of of people's two thousands. Yeah, like that whole adolescence is our and young adulthood is now gone. All right, so let's crank cranky. Cranky time. All right. Jeremy, why don't you start us off? Oh boy. Uh, so <laughs> it's funny because I really loved the piece when we first read it, the submission. And what's interesting about the piece is it's just as sexual as our erotica piece. But when mm -hmm. I reread it this time, I just re-remembered it. I was like, holy crap. I don't remember it being this sexual, but it's just the sentiment behind the sexuality and the story, which is really interesting. Cause actually, in, in some ways, it's actually more sexual than the erotica piece, right? Yeah, I mean, I think it's. I think that's a really interesting point, like how you can write about the same subject, sex, in two separate pieces, and yet it just comes off in such a different way. Both of them, you know, entertaining and satisfying, but it's just so different. You know, in the erotica piece, it was such an awakening for this, that character. And even in Meryl's story, it's a bit of an awakening, but it's a different kind of awakening and a different change that happens within her in a much more like, me personally, I feel so worried about her the entire time. Yeah. You know, like I'm scared for her and I'm, and I'm like worried she's about she's her. collecting marbles. Like I'm gonna collect some marbles. <laughs> you know, that happen to be penises. Yeah, yeah, I know. And I know that's what she wants. I know that she's setting out to do this, but at the yeah. same time, I, I still feel like, oh my gosh, I'm worried for you. <laughs> uh, I also really liked the voice that Meryl uses for the piece. Like it, it also threw me back to the 2000s with uh, Sarah Je Jessica Parker's character in Sex and the City. Oh, I was yeah. like, oh, this would be so cool read by Sarah Jessica Parker, you know? Oh my gosh. Yeah. What a great, what a great reader that would have been. Yeah. Well, and I, you're good too, but you know what I mean? It has that, no, it has no, I know. that uh, it's the, the, the writing voice that has that kind of almost like that article voice that she uses for her, yeah. her magazine. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think Meryl does such a fantastic job of capturing that the voice of a young woman at that age, at that time, trying to figure herself out, like being very like studious about it and, uh, you know, goal oriented towards this, this thing, and but still 
like being so young and still trying to like figure out your emotions and and your sexuality and and it's it's funny and it's emotional and I, I love the humor that's within the piece. Like I just think Meryl does such a good job of capturing all of that of that particular like time. <laughs> it always gets me. Megan, you know? is there one that you haven't there was one that I think you might not have jumped on. I think there was maybe one. Maybe one. That... Yeah. We're gonna have to do a highlight reel of all Megan's jumps. <laughs> All so, right, now it's time for Meryl. Now it's time for Meryl. Before we, we bring Meryl on, I just wanted to tell you guys a little bit about her. So Meryl Branch McTiernan has published fiction in the Brooklyn Rail and the creative nonfiction and creative nonfiction in Scheller Magazine and Ritual Well. Two of her monologues were published in the 2015 collection Men's Comedic Monologues that are actually funny. She's blogged for HuffPo Women and is a professional ghostwriter of nonfiction books. Currently, she's pursuing an MFA in creative writing at Stony Brook. A native New Yorker, she received a BS in television, radio, and film from the SI Newhouse School of Public Communications at Syracuse University. So let's bring Meryl on. Hey guys, you guys did such a great job. It was amazing. Oh, well, I'm so glad to hear that. Thank you, Meryl. Well, we were, it was a, um, a lot of fun and I loved, um, Meryl was actually the one that suggested that we add the sound effects. And so I'm, I'm so pleased for her uh, <laughs> suggestion. I think it just, it just made the piece that much more fun. And as uh, we were talking about before Meryl came on, um, added to the, to the time and the essence of the of the piece. So, thank you, Meryl. Thanks for uh, thanks for going for it. Um, <laughs> and uh, I love those male voices, Jeremy. You really got oh, it. <laughs> so much. Thank you. It, it felt better. Like this is the first time that like people are not looking at my face when I'm doing it. So I felt free. Like I felt free and liberated with your piece, Meryl. Thank I you. I felt that. I felt all those men. Yes. That's what <laughs> yeah. I want to hear. Yeah, it was really great. You were, I think you nailed the voice of Luca so well mm -hmm. that like there were times where I really wanted to laugh. <laughs> <laughs> like, try to keep it under wraps. The dry, droll, like. Yeah, like yeah. the dry, moody guy. You were just, you were nailing it. Oh, right. Well, thank you. But this isn't about me. Let's go back to Meryl. <laughs> You're right. You're right. Let's let's touch. So, Meryl, can you tell us a little bit about why you wanted to write this piece? So there's an interesting evolution with this piece. So I wrote a novel and these were two scenes in the novel that that got cut. Um, they were supposed to be flashbacks from because my my novel protagonist had just graduated college. So these were supposed to be like her high school and early college flashbacks, but they didn't make the cut. And I was taking a workshop with Alexander Chi, who's amazing. And I had to write a short story. And I was just like, what if I put those two together? Because they're both like connected by blowjobs. And let's see what happens. So that's kind of how it worked. That's oh, amazing. That's cool. um, I love that. I didn't know this story. This is so cool. Uh, Meryl, so yeah, I want to know why these didn't work for your novel. That's the thing that popped up when you said that you cut them out. Um, so the way that I write novels is that I just write whatever I feel like writing. And then there just ends up being like a lot of things that like I was in the mood for that day that don't, you know, like how many past dudes are we going to put in here? So it just kind of, they just, these two didn't make the cut. Okay, so uh, backstory for everyone that's listening, Meryl, her theme that she writes around often is sexual experiences, right, Meryl? That is true, yes. Okay, just so people know what you're talking about. <laughs> a lot of awkward sex. I mean, like, I think Jeremy described it as alien, I think, when we oh, talked yeah. about it. Yeah, yeah so it's like not... aliens from outer space. <laughs> yeah, is they're not always like. a good, I wouldn't call it erotica, per se. It's definitely, it's, it's, it's weird erotica, if that, that were a thing. I love that. <laughs> weird erotica, I love that. You just coined a new term, Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> well, Meryl created it. It's true. 
Um, and I workshop this piece and uh, someone in the class came up with an interesting term, a fleshback. Like when oh. one, se <laughs> one sexual experience leads to another. Um, so it kind of fit here. Oh, that's so cool. I, like <laughs> I don't like that term, but it works. <laughs> it goes with the alien. Um. Oh, that's like voiced. <laughs> oh, I love that word. Of course, of course you would. Of course you would, Meryl. <laughs> What other words do people not like that I bet you like? Probably all of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, um, have you had any traction with the novel? I mean, I would love to read this novel if these, I mean, I know that, like, I feel like, oh, well, if we just got the leavings of your novel, like, <laughs> I would love to read the entire thing. Well, yeah, I mean, so um, I've kind of, I would love to send you the whole thing. Um, I've sort of put the first one aside for now, and I'm working on a second one. Um, I had a few agents read it um, and gave me very beautiful rejections. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd love to send it over to you. It's called Adult World. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I just I I just ad admire you so much to and I just think it's so brave to be able to write about like of so course brave. of course we we fictionalize things but like just to be able to write about that kind of stuff I think is is so brave and it's 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 things that we can always like I personally can can really relate to like you know all of your experiences aren't necessarily going to be these these magnificent romantic in experiences and I just feel like you're able to capture that so well in in and, these pages. Agreed with what Megan says, pointing the wrong way. I have to do, remember <laughs> that I'm doing a mirror image. Let's try this again. I agree with what Megan says and people like it or not have had experiences, whether it be making out or further where they just kind of want to forget it. So I think people are going to really empathize with your kind of writing, like if your novels are like this too, even though they might deny it. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> even if they don't admit it, they they still can relate. And I just, I also love how your your um, your ancillary characters feel so real to life, like the, um, you know, the mom and the dad and the the friend and the friend's boyfriend and all the guys. They, they just, they feel like such real people, even if we only see them for a line or two. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. So, uh, I was going to say, just speaking of, Meryl, you're working on a film too, right? Like, speaking of sexuality and... Yes, I am. Um, it's It's been really fun. Um, it's called The Dropout. And it's about a woman who's been divorced for about a year. She's uh, she's 50 and um, her daughter brings her, she's like a super mom, um, but all her kids are sort of over her. And she's everyone in, she's in Pasadena and everyone's Pasadena! over her. Pasadena, that's my favorite. <laughs> world oh my god magic world. that's <laughs> you, my magic word is you magic. have to, you have to read the script then um so yeah so her daughter comes back and surprises her oh i'm bringing my boyfriend home who her, the mother didn't even know she had a boyfriend and he's staying for a month and they end up having an affair um <laughs> and uh it's actually based on a story from my ex-boyfriend Oric, who i think you know megan or you know yeah oh my <laughs> still, goodness still a good friend but yeah he he did have an affair uh with his uh girlfriend's mother and so that was the inspiration for the character and the story i mean it's very different from his story but um yeah so that's that's what we're working on we just started a crowdfunding campaign um and hopefully it'll work out. How is oh that my goodness. a piece that uh, has someone who has actually experienced something? Like, how do you guys work that out? That's kind of fascinating. Well, it's funny because he's been like such an advocate and he's read many versions of the script and he also recognizes that like, that was a jumping off point, but not, yeah. you know. Inspiration. Yeah, and like I, you know, and, and yeah, so she's really become not his, person like we've I'm writing with a partner and we've really yeah. taken it in different directions and used our own experience to kind of build her oh that's cool that's cool oh I would I would want is the tone like romantic comedy or is it a drama or how would you describe it um yeah definitely comedy yeah I guess romantic comedy um yeah it's uh, yeah 
<laughs> is there some oh, weird radica in there? There is. There's definitely there's a you know period oral scene in the first five pages. So that's um, excellent. Where we are? <laughs> oh my gosh! I want to watch this movie already. <laughs> I I feel like like every woman needs this movie, whether however old she is. Like I just I feel like this is this is gonna be this is gonna be a breakthrough. This is gonna be great. I can't wait. Oh no! Oh Meryl no! Froze on us, but that Meryl froze in the best way possible. Let's just all take in how brilliantly Meryl froze. Can anybody have frozen so perfectly? I know, like she's, she's just smiling. smiling and her hair looks great. And, you know, like anytime I see myself freeze on the video, it's like, you know, I'm making some weird face and I know. it's like, yeah, it's, it's like you realize how weird the faces are that you make when you get frozen. Oh, no, and I think we... our producer pushed it away. I wanted to keep looking. Oh. But yeah, well, it looked like he was even listening to us while we were talking about her nice frozenness. I know. Like I know. <laughs> well, we'll give her we'll give her a, like a few seconds to see if she is gonna try to come back on. You think? So that was really cool. Like I love that we're gonna have an extra cranky talk because the world said that we should. Um, yeah. I like that Meryl juggles more than one format of writing. I told her. Uh, before when we when we were rehearsing that like I just think it's wonderful when people are doing different formats like I know during school she said she's learning poetry and stuff and just think all the formats go really well together if you're you're focusing on each separately what are your thoughts on all that Megan I think it's great too I know that there's some people who just want to stick to one thing like they just want to do prose or they just want to do screenwriting or poetry or whatever, but I I think not only do the different forms inform each other and you can learn different things from them, but also I think it also gives your brain time to relax. So like if you're finishing writing a movie, you don't have to go straight into another movie. You can take a break, you can start writing some posts. Meryl's back! <laughs> I'm so sorry, my computer just died at 38%. I don't understand, but I'm back. Well, you froze at the most perfect moment. Like it was a <laughs> yeah, really you were. Freeze. You're gonna have to go back and look at your freeze. Oh God. <laughs> your freeze frame was beautiful, don't worry. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't like. <laughs> sorry to screw up the flow. Um... I don't think it, oh, no. I, I think it was perfect. Okay. Yeah, no, we were just talking about how when you write in different forms, it can give your brain a little bit of a rest. So if you move from writing prose to writing a screenplay, you can rest the prose side of your brain and focus a little bit more on screenplays. And, you know, it's kind of nice to work in different mediums and move back and forth between them for those reasons. Definitely. Like, I feel like I get sick of writing everyone's thoughts when I'm writing prose. I'm like, oh my God, enough with the inner thoughts. And then sometimes when you're writing screenplays, it's like, doesn't anyone get a thought? Like, how am I going to show that? <laughs> it's true because the formats are so different. Like one, right. like theater plays, it's predominantly dialogue. Right. And then screenwriting, it's primarily images and action. And prose, it's inner thought. Like each, each of the sisters has its own little personality. Totally. Like a dialogue is definitely my favorite thing to write, but sometimes you're like, oh, I can't tell it all with dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. And have you ever done any playwriting, Meryl? You know, I haven't. I would like to. I, I should. should. Yeah. Especially if you like dialogue, I highly recommend you. You're already doing poetry and you're doing everything. Doing things. You playwriting <laughs> too. Yeah. You might as well just get in on, on plays as well. Yeah, and it's great because, I mean, it's definitely hard to make a living as a playwright, but it's sure easier is. in some ways maybe to produce, maybe. Then screenwriting? Yeah. Oh, yes, of course. Most you get a room. you got to sell an organ to get your screenplay yeah. out there. That's what I'm doing. I'm selling organs. <laughs> <laughs> like actual oh. organs inside your body, not like musical organs. Right, just right. Although I'm pretty sure everyone got that. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, Meryl, do you feel like um, writing the short story and then like also writing your novel, like, do you feel like that that was cathartic for you? Or in like, did you feel like, okay, I wrote this about these certain things. And so now I kind of want to move on. Or do you feel like mm. you still find yourself coming back to those, those same stories and revisiting them? Well, I spent a really long time um, with my first novel and like, I wasn't thinking like, oh, I'll put this in a drawer. Like I was like, this has to sell. This is my future. This is my life. Um, and I think that I just kind of, I did get sick of being 22. Like when, when you're 33 or 35 or 38, you're like, I don't want to be 22 anymore. Um, so that is a brilliant premise, by the way, like just three writers talking. That's a brilliant premise for a writer to be stuck on a story with a 22 year old version of themselves. Like, I love it. I know Megan will not steal it because she doesn't <laughs> like writers writing about writing, but I might steal from you, Mel. Oh, please do it, make it happen. That's such a good premise. I love that. I love then, what you said too. Yeah. Also like, yeah, like it was 2004 and I'm like, I'm just in 2004 forever. Like, is there, am I ever gonna get to 2005? Like, um, <laughs> I love that. That's so good. But you kind of reminds me of like hot tub time machine, except you're <laughs> going back and you're stuck in like your writer world, you oh know? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Or Russian doll. It kind of has like a yes. Russian doll feel too. Like all of a sudden that what is that song that happens where all of a sudden you're back in the pages? It's horrifying. <laughs> it's just like, oh my God, never getting out. Um <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I think I also realized like I write a lot of like coming of age and I feel like I didn't really come of age until I was like 29. So <laughs> I don't know. Well, Megan told me in grad school, she said people don't hatch out of their egg brains until they're 30. And I was like, well, this is awkward because I was in my 20s when she said it. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> I'm still in my egg brain. I've got some more time. I don't remember. You sure did. It is something that stuck with me. I was like, oh, she told me I haven't hatched yet. <laughs> Which is kind of nice. I mean, yeah, I'm like, ooh, I'm still all this time. Yeah, get to stay in there and incubate for a little bit longer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's another reason. It's just, well, it's funny because I don't think I would write this story now, but like picking up those pieces a couple of years ago and then adding some more fun stuff to it, it was great. But like I had to have the base or I wouldn't have been like, let me go back to, you know. Mm -hmm. That's one of my favorite things with writing is if you go back and work on something, because for me, I don't know how this is for you and I'm curious, Meryl, but when I go back, it's not that the pages are bad, it's just a different person wrote them and it, right right isn't that it, it's just fascinating to see and you're like oh this isn't bad it's just like a version of me yeah yeah right? and like word like do you guys have words that you're obsessed with that like not intentionally but they're just like they show up all the time like, like well, expression yeah it's kind of like theme right like there's certain things that are on your mind and mm -hmm. like subject matter and so that's what you pursue and maybe that's also why things feel foreign after a few years is you have, Megan kind of brought it up earlier where you just approach a certain subject and then you kind of get tired of it. So yeah. I think that's true with words and symbols and themes. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely find the more short stories that like I go back and read and rewrite, I find imagery, like the same imagery coming up. The same, the same places, like my characters ending up in the same places and stopping and looking at the same things. And, mm. you know, I'm like, oh, wait, I already talked about that street lamp, you know, three stories ago. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> like, what is it? Well, I actually took a class in grad school called The, uh, the Story You Are. Um, and the professor, cool guy named Roger Rosenblatt was talking about how we all basically have like one story and we just like tell it in different ways. I think I, I definitely think it's true for me. Um. Marsha Norman, uh, she did the musical version of The Color Purple and uh, she said the same things or similar at least. She said that writers, when they're doing well, they're doing well, they're writing from their pain. Like mm. the one thing that hurts them. For her, it was always trying to get to escape. Um, so it's a, I think that's kind of interesting mm. that two different writers said similar things. 
yeah, it kind of takes the pressure off because you're like, oh, why can't I think of any? Like, just keep writing the same thing differently. And we'll all be happy. Yeah, yeah I mean, mainly it's you that knows it. Like, if, you, if you're able to, like, produce it in a way that's different or you're or you're pursuing different angles of the same subject other people won't notice it it's just right. you right exactly yeah well or unless you're writing short stories and then i feel like you can put all of that <laughs> the, that sameness into a collection right yes and you can make it, it yeah. yes you can say this is this is all about i don't know like flamingo this is my pain <laughs> my pain Megan, you said you were gonna hopefully get a short story collection out this year. Is that how's that going? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so Jeremy started self-publishing his his short stories last year and has done really well. And then, and so uh, he kind of paved the way of, of information on how to do it. And so I was like, yeah, well, her that she needed to do it. Like, and I then just... Jeremy kept poking me at it, and I was like, well, you know, I have like almost enough short stories for a collection. So why don't I just pick out the ones that have similar themes and put them together? So I'm I'm excited about getting that done and hopefully getting it out uh, this this year. Well, I am going to get it out this year. Are, yeah, so, so are they linked? Like, are there characters that are linked or just like themes? It's more, it's more themes, um, like themes of like, illness but mm. not like more like illness caused by um catastrophes and mm. like i started writing this years before covid and so it's been kind of interesting that then covid happened and i'm kind of like oh all these short stories that i read about wrote about like pandemics and you know half the population on the planet dying like kind of you know, kind of fit into the, a little bit of what. <laughs> yeah, you know, all of a sudden that's now. what everyone's thinking about. It's great. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, like speaking of pain, I was like, well, why don't I just, you know, write a couple of more in this vein and then put it together with a with a collection. Uh, but usually, I like I like these stories because it's usually whatever weird health issue is going on in the world. It's usually not the main issue. It's just kind of something that's happening in the world at the same time that the main it. character is yeah, going whatever. through something internal within themselves. Um, so I like it. I like having that distance between whatever's happening and in the world and whatever's happening within the person. So cool. Yeah. So I mean, they're, they're all kind of connected in, in that, like loosely connected in that, in that vein. Meryl flipped it around again. <sighs> I know, I know. So, Meryl, is there anything else that you want to tell us about? I, you you mentioned your crowdfunding. You also have um, a Meryl has a a podcast called The Head, the Heart, and the Vagina. So you that she just started, which sounds amazing, and it's all about um, women's experiences in cinema. Is that right? Yeah, well, it's um, it's like movies and TV that has um, like either a female writer, or female director, or uh, sexual and content generally to some extent. Mm -hmm. We just actually talked about um, Yes, God, Yes today. Have you guys seen that? Mm -hmm. No. It's a, it's a 2000. It, it takes place in 2000, but it just came out, and it's like all about a girl in Catholic school who just like wants to masturbate. Um, <gasps> Wait, cool. I think I might have seen it. It's cute. Yeah, is it is it with the girl from uh, Stranger Things? Yeah, I yep. did see it. I did see it. Yeah, so that's that was up our alley. So yeah, it's with my my writing oh. partner. Um, yeah. Oh, great. Well, like definitely, we'll definitely check that out. And then um, let's see what else do we want to tell people about? Oh. Um, Meryl just recently had a story published in the Brooklyn Rail. So make sure that you check that out. What's the name of that story, Meryl? <laughs> what is it? So it was a line from Emily Dickinson that I like picked out. What is it called? An Ecstasy of Parting. Um, ecstasy of Parting. I was right. in this weird space that I just like opened up Emily Dickinson and like found a line that fit. Oh. Um, yeah, so these are actually my only two finished short stories. So I'm so excited to have this up here because. Oh, yeah. yay! <laughs> well, uh, we're excited 
to be able to showcase your work, Meryl. We loved, we loved this story. It was such a joy to read. And uh, thank you so much for being on the show and doing this interview. Is there anything else that you want to say? Um, no, it's just thank you so much. This was so fun. It's so hard when you write things and they just live on your computer. So to have like two amazing readers bring Aww. it to life was so great. Aw. Oh, well, it's our pleasure, Meryl. Thank you so much. And we look forward yeah, thank you for to being on the show. seeing your movie and reading your novel and everything that comes forward. Make sure that you keep us posted and updated on all the things that are going on with you so that we can you're part of the family now, so we want to oh. showcase you moving forward as well. <laughs> For sure, and same here. I'd love to read everything. Oh, thanks so much, Meryl. All right. Bye, Meryl. Thank you. Bye, Bye guys. Ah, that was, that was fun. great. Yeah, that was great. And I have to second that you really did a great job on all the male voices. Megan, stop There's it. There's a lot of male voices, and you just differentiated them very well. Gosh, my head is already bigger than I yours. Know. I know, it doesn't even fit it's in the like, screen and now it's just getting even bigger. <laughs> Jeremy's like leaning closer so that his head gets bigger and bigger and bigger as he gets to the, the camera. <laughs> oh my God, everyone's gonna peace out. <laughs> All right, so if you haven't already, please go to our YouTube page and like and subscribe. We are up to 140 subscribers now and we You didn't really have to bribe anyone. We That's didn't have to just happening. We didn't have to bribe anyone, but please tell your tell your friends, tell your family. Um, please have them come and uh, subscribe on YouTube. And if you are into the audio podcast space, you can find us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher, iTunes, um, Spotify, Amazon, pretty much anywhere you want to uh, find podcasts. You can find us, download us on your phone, have us a, a story ready anytime that uh, that you want one. So make sure that you do that. And when you want to chat to us, we're there too. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Twitter with the hashtag NRSS podcast. That's right. And uh, please go to our YouTube page and go to Meryl's uh, story tonight and tell us what you liked and and uh, show Meryl some love. We love to hear from our fans and and so do our authors. And Jeremy's holding up the pillow. So on our website, nobodyresearchstories.com, you can find all of our merchandise, including the lovely purple, orange, white, and black pillow that Jeremy- We have more merchandise on. than this. This is the only thing we show though. Yes. <laughs> Because we're just really great salespeople. We just love the pillow. The pillow's our friend. Uh, but you can find, uh, we have hoodies, we have phone covers, we have dog shirts, we have uh, t-shirts, we have leggings and fanny packs and pretty much anything that you could want, basically. Like deck yourself out in our merchandise and send us a picture. Megan. I just realized this is not us plugging ourselves. I know that I'm being naughty right now, but I just had a flash in my head while you were talking. Uh -huh. I think we could sell things on QVC. We should, <gasps> we should, if the writing doesn't pay for us, like we should come up with something to sell on QVC. Totally sell stuff on QVC. And then we say to the host, we'd be like, no, we have done this enough. You guys are no longer needed. We're going to That's sell right. our own stuff on your show. That would be amazing. We could just like gorilla style, like run into somebody's sound room and just be like, okay, we're taking over. We're going to sell our stuff. Um, what, what do we have next week? What is our episode next week? <gasps> so next week we're actually doing one of my stories, which I'm excited about. And also a little nervous. And a little nervous, but uh, but yeah, so make sure that you come back next week. And then Jeremy, don't you have something to talk about? Oh, I have something to talk about. So <laughs> my third book is coming out on Amazon this Friday. What is the date this Friday? This Friday is... Well, we're in 2021. So if you're watching this five years from now, it was released <laughs> five years ago. Um, but it's a thriller. It's a horror thriller. It's both. Um, about a girl who breaks into her boyfriend's apartment to do a little surprise and she sees a little too much. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So, and what is it called? Petrified Women. So make sure that you, on Friday, that you go to Amazon. 2021. <laughs> yes. On Friday, May 15th, 2021, that you go to Amazon and you find Jeremy's story, Petrified Women, and you download it and show him all the love. Um, speaking of showing us love, we both have websites and Megan's is meganamorrison.com. And anytime she has news about her screenplays or screenplays, her movies that she's going to be releasing or the book that's coming out this year, she'll let you know. And that's right. And Jeremy has a website, jeremyraystories.com. If you go to his website and you sign up for notifications, you will get a brand new story in your inbox every week, a new micro story, hot off the presses. So make sure that you sign up for those. All right. Well, I guess we're done for this week. Make sure to oh. stay tuned for Megan's next week. <gasps> Yay. Come back. We'll you see better. You <laughs> Bye. Thanks for listening, you all. Bye. No one reads short stories anymore. I really don't know what they're written for. Go write a short story and throw it out the door. Cause no one reads short stories, funny, sad, or gory. No one reads short stories anymore. Yes, no one reads short stories.